when this episode was recorded, Rachel Pollock was still alive. She was a trans novelist, comic writer, and tarot expert. Uh, guest on this episode, Jessica Kretz, brings up uh, Rachel, Poll- Rachel Pollock towards an episode. So uh, I believe that the uh, charity donation, well, which it was, uh, dedicated to her, is brought up. <clears throat> I'm not sure if it's still active or not, but uh, Rachel's no longer with us. And there's an a audio thing in this episode at certain points. I got rid of it as much as I could without having to delete uh, what people were saying. So you will hear uh, some staticky noises sporadically, but I took out majority of majority of it. Yeah, yeah, I feel like the well, apocalypse is happening. Exactly. The ambiance <laughs> that nukes are about to drop, it's crazy. Yeah, and actually, I one of the firefighters I kind of know, but uh, I don't talk to him. But that's a long story for another time. Another day. Another time. Anyway, uh, hello, welcome to Dark Habits and a Motivar podcast. I am Spencer, and uh, Joel is here because he... Uh, Last recording, he was not here for the for the musical that he loves. So uh, I don't know. I'm so upset. I wanted oh. to talk about that kid. That's so hilarious. Oh, uh, Bo and Ale- and Alex uh, hate that kid. <laughs> they hate that kid. Yeah, I definitely should have talked about it. Well, on that episode, we we decided we we're going to talk about another Marilyn Monroe movie. Okay. Both of them are like uh, really great. We're talking about that stuff. Mm-hmm. A movie I think you like, but I, I have no fucking clue. Okay. <laughs> okay, so this episode is on, the, I think it's the first Western episode we're doing, so um, I'm excited, and it's a Western I dearly love, and uh, so one per, one guest is returning, she's a, a friend of the show, and I think this is the first time seeing it, uh, Heather Drain. Yes. Hello. Hello. Thank you for having me back and, and and for giving me the proper nudge to finally watch Johnny Guitar. I don't know what took me so long, but uh, but I'm definitely glad I did. All right. And uh, first timer, hopefully not last timer, uh, Jessica. Hey. Hi. Thanks for having me on. All right. You're welcome. So uh, first off to start. I've been I even mean to do this every episode now. I forgot last couple, but uh, because of what's happening in this country, I'll be simple and direct. Trans rights are human rights, and uh, uh, this country is fucked up and it needs to change. Things need to change. Oh, and, and if you're listening to this and think that's too far, why are you listening to a podcast about Pedro Almodovar in the first place? Mm. I say if you think of the word woke in representation of anything that seems like change that could affect you, maybe take your head out of your ass and, like, pay attention instead of just looking only into your asshole where you're only going to find asshole opinions. Sorry. (laughs) I mean, you're not wrong. Yeah, just it's it's basic. 
you know, I think it's it's just basic human courtesy. Don't be a dick, people. I think I like to think that anybody listening to this show, you're probably not part of the problem. But if you know anybody that is, you know, gently try to be like, you know, or not so gently, depending on the level of assholery, you know, mm. let's all take care of each other and don't be dicks and support all the good nonprofits out there and support each other. And great film podcasts like this one, up too. <laughs> oh, thank you. All right. So first, I'll start with Jessica. Uh, you love this movie. So, um, what about? Well, actually, what, uh, what is your history with this movie? You know, I the history of the movie is I think I just probably first time I saw this was about I'd say maybe ten years ago, ten or so. Uh, maybe it was more recently than that. Um, and uh, honestly, the name was what drew me to it. Like it's a, it's a it's a cool name. Like it's a neat sounding name. And I didn't really know what the movie was about. I didn't realize that Johnny Guitar isn't really the main character in this. I just you know it's just like the name sounds cool. I like Nicholas Ray movies quite a lot. And uh, and yeah, that's how I that's how I stumbled on it. Um, and it's, it's since become probably one of my favorite movies ever made. Like I, I adore this movie. I think that overall, it is a good Western. Uh, and like, like I said before recording, the Johnny Guitar is a character. They made a really good Donna Reed song. But it is like the reason why the poster is Joan Crawford, like standing up there proud and tall. And she is not Johnny Guitar, which was shocking to me. I was like, oh, okay. Um, like, yeah, I don't know. For some reason, that was enough of a distraction. That at first, I was kind of perplexed, but I really like how everything turned out. Um, yeah, we'll get into other stuff like that. And uh, Heather, uh, what did you... Well, had you heard of this before I mentioned this to you? Oh, oh, absolutely. No, in fact, I remember uh, being a kid and my uh, our, our local library had a book on um like something like the greatest film villains and they had a whole section on mercedes mccambridge as emma from this movie and i that always like that writing always intrigued me because you know that particular book kind of had speculated that there was sort of a almost like a lesbian subtext between her character and joan crawford's character vienna um and in the cast, of course, I'm a huge Sterling Hayden fan. Uh, I mean, John Crawford's great. Mercedes McCambridge never gets enough love. Um, plus, you've got, if you love character actors, this is your movie. Because you got Ernest Borgnine, Royal Dano, who I was so happy to see. I love Royal Dano. Uh, you know, oh, God, John Carradine. Like, and uh, who's... Ward Bond. Yes, like it's like I mean the only people missing is like Timothy Carey and you know and Baby Joe Spinell. <laughs> oh, uh, so. yeah, T- Timothy Carey would uh would have been great in this. He has that <sighs> wild, uh, chaotic energy to him. Oh my God, this yeah I would have seen this movie probably a lot sooner if Timothy Carey had been in it. But uh, but I'm glad I saw it now. Um, yeah, and of course I mean uh, like Jessica mentioned, I mean Nicholas Ray, I mean one of our one of our great hollywood directors so it's it's good to kind of you know see a film of his you know which is which is something i need to do more often so yeah well first i want to get this this uh the uh elf dressed elephant in the room 
uh, who was, uh, a previous episode, I forgot which one, but Aaron Gambrill was talking about, somehow we talked about Sterling Hayden, and she was like, oh, he's a terrible actor, which is why he's interesting. And I haven't seen that many Sterling Hayden movies, but uh, in in everyone's opinion, what do you think of Sterling Hayden? Is he a bad actor who is this, like, who was tall and handsome, or was he a good actor? Um, but, uh, but if it's okay, um, I'm, I have to say, cause I love Sterling Hayden, as I mentioned, um, I think Hayden was a good actor. I think in, in some cases he was a damn good actor. I think he was an actor that certainly benefited with working with certain directors. I mean, um, like Kubrick, cause of course, if you see Kubrick's The Killing, which has Timothy Carey, um, which The Killing, I think is one of Kubrick's best films, personally. Um, I think Hayden's great in that. He was great in Doctor Strangelove. Um, if uh, if you watch The Long Goodbye, um, which is Robert Altman, um, Hayden's absolutely magnificent in that. Um, you know, I think, you know, I to me, it's like, I mean, is Johnny Guitar the film that's going to make you, like, love him as an actor? Probably not. Um, but I think part of that is that despite being the titular role, I mean, that role is an afterthought this is a hundred percent the women's show uh which i which is something i really think is kind of cool and i really enjoyed in this movie like what a little subversive kind of twist to you know have like this very masculine perceived genre like the western and call it johnny guitar and you have strapping sterling hayden as our johnny uh but it's joan it's joan and mercedes all the way it's their show um, Jessica, what, uh, do you think Sterling Hayden uh, was a good actor? I am such a bad judge of what makes a good actor. You know, what makes them good or bad. I'm kind of just interested in whether I'm drawn to them. And I, I generally, I would say I'm pretty drawn to Sterling Hayden when I see him on screen. Um, I don't know, you know, if he's got, you know, he has great range or anything. But, you know, the movies that Heather just mentioned, especially, like, you know, The, the Long Goodbye, like, he just... I, th- I think he, he comes off really well on screen. Yeah, I, I think he's fine. I think he's very good. Okay. Yeah, I still haven't seen enough of his movies to really uh, determine determine that or not. But J-Dog, what about you? Do you think Aaron Gambrell is uh, uh, wrong or right in her opinion? Um, she's always right. Uh, okay. But uh, in my opinion... <laughs> Honestly, I don't have a strong opinion of Sterling Hayden. In, in this movie, you know, he's playing a, kind of a stoic, not really, I don't know, the the kind of like Western hero that you feel represented by like John Wayne and, and any of those other guys where it's like, I have strong feelings, but I can only kind of talk about them because I'm a man. And uh, that that's about it, you know. It, like, one of my problems with this movie is I don't feel like we had enough time to really flesh out the characters. Like, you kind of—I I get mostly what John or Joan Crawford is going, and they like talk about the past and stuff like that. But it, it's just kind of, um, just just touched on so that you know that these characters knew each other at some point, rather than elaborating on their characters. Like, certainly hating uh, Johnny Guitar is, 
previously known as a killer of you know a famous gunman or something like that and we it's not really that apparent i i don't know um so in this movie he's fine the long goodbye oh i absolutely love that part that he does uh, you know i can't really say anything about that uh, in the godfather i believe he gets killed right oh, very early yeah yeah it's a great scene though I heard it's they got good in... Italian food at this place. <laughs> it's also in Winter Kills, a movie that I don't think is good, but it's fascinating. Oh, God. Yes. He's also in Venom with Oliver Reed and Klaus Kinski. I always wonder, what was wow. that set like <laughs> to be a Jeez. fly on that ball? Holy shit. <laughs> and if anyone has not seen Winter Kills, it's one of the few Hollywood movies with Toshio Mifune in it. <gasps> I need it's, to see that right now. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it's yeah, it's more interesting than good, but yeah, you'll never forget it. Uh, okay, so um, now uh, uh Jessica, what do you think, oh, Spencer? Oh, what do I think about his acting? Here, he's kind of stiff, but I feel like he's more. It's leaning into like the Western hero thing, right? And he's 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 not asked to do that much emoting or he has to be like a, a big presence and he was six five so like he will be like a big presence that you notice in every scene i'm glad you said that he was six fives because he was towering over jonah crawford and i was like joan crawford's not short what the hell no he uh, was a viking yeah i always like to think of him as neptune like the 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 yeah the Greek god of Neptune because Sterling was such a, a a man of the water, and you know a sailor and a captain in real life and uh, yeah but no no I noticed like the like when she goes to kiss him you could tell like when they when the shot's kind of more of a wide shot she's literally kind of standing on her tippy toes <laughs> <laughs> trying to reach him. Yeah okay yeah um yeah so uh, Jessica what uh. Why do you love this movie so much? Yeah, one thing I love about it is just, I guess, the way it subverts the Western genre. And you know, we're talking about uh, Sterling Hayden here. And, I mean, that's what he is. He fits within the archetype of, you know, the, the Western hero, like like you've all said. And, the, the you know, the movie sets up these different kind of Western, I don't know, I don't want to say cliches, but you know what I mean. Um... But the, the central struggle uh, that it's basically between these two women, um, it provides like a whole a whole new context. Uh, I don't know to the western and to to, to this film. If that makes sense. <laughs> yeah, of course it does. Um, and there's other things too. I think so. Uh, Nicholas Ray, I think is. Like I said, he's probably my favorite Hollywood, like old Hollywood director after, after Hitchcock and Wells, and the way he shoots interior scenes, he can get so much out of, you know, the the, the tense the tense feeling that you have in that opening half hour, which is mostly all inside the, uh, inside the casino uh, of the film. Uh, the way he shoots it, the way that he kind of keeps you aware of where everyone is at all times, 
Um, he's just, yeah, he's, I, I actually have some problems with the film a little later once the scenes are mostly exterior. For some reason, I just don't think he's as exciting when he's doing, like, exterior shots. Um, but, like, the first half of this movie is so thrilling, and a lot of it is just, I think, how well he shoots um, these, like, tense indoor scenes. Hmm. Yeah, uh, paying, I paying more attention this time to it, because I saw it maybe five or six years ago. Just, like, uh, like, the uh, like for uh, I haven't seen that many westerns of this time period, but this feels the most stylish and the most like uh, grandiose of the ones I've seen of this time, because like I think of like Rio Bravo or High Noon, and, like they're shot well and everything, but like this feels explosive with like the color choices and um, just like the way things are framed. That shot of her again, her in the white dress at the piano against like the rock wall, is honestly one of the most like striking images I've ever seen in a western. Yeah, oh, it's and, so, it's so beautiful. Sorry. <laughs> and, and it's and and like the opposite shot is the whole crowd in black, yeah, and just like this very distinct like, well, or it feels like she's in control, but she actually, anyway, uh, yeah. So um. Uh, uh, hey, uh, Joel, what worked f- for you? What worked in this movie? Well, it's funny that you mentioned the, uh, Jessica, that you mentioned the outside shots, because I, I felt kind of like a whiplash whenever they were doing, like, actual outside footage. That, I mean, the colorization, you know, the, the way everything looks has to be different. I realized that, but it was like, the interiors are very calculated. They're very considered like we need to make sure highlights are on the actor's eyes or you know this guy who's given the, the sly nod and things like that 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 piano shot is so striking that i was like wait a minute i feel like i should have seen this wall before <laughs> it's, it's just like the piano perfectly placed and the wall and i was like did i did i see this before i don't know it's, i mean it looks angelic but i i like the outside shots just like more in a that's a personal level not not like an aesthetic you know (laughs) objective opinion or anything like that like watching the horses go through rivers men on top um having to cover their heads as they go under the waterfall the mountains exploding which uh, i have very mixed feelings about because i'm pretty sure they did blow up parts of mountains and it was like uh you know you're making a movie i don't know if that's uh a justified reason to blow up nature, but you know, whatever <laughs> I could do about it. Um, yeah, so, the, oh, sorry. Oh, no, no, you're fine. Uh, what were you gonna say? Yeah, I was just gonna say, I don't think the exterior shots are bad, I just don't think they're as exciting as the interiors in the film. Is probably where, where I'd land mm-hmm. on that. Oh, that's that totally makes sense. Yeah, I mean, the, the posse all gathered together and, um, Mercedes McCambridge's character just insisting constantly that she knows this woman is responsible for the evil and the you know that's been going on that's another thing i would have liked fleshed out there you know it's mentioned that she wants to be with the uh the, what's it called the dancing kid yeah and it's denial but you can she does a very good 
job of like giving that look like I want him so bad, but I also want him dead so bad. Um, yeah, I won't draw. Mm. Evil dies tonight. Oh yeah, that's what <laughs> happened. And uh, who's who's Doctor Loomis in this case? Um, Doctor Loomis. Uh, Doctor Loomis is dead in the new Halloweens. Oh yeah, you're right. Oh, they had that geez, weird British be... doctor with that terrible accent in the first one. Yeah. Uh yeah, so I enjoyed the fact that it wasn't like shooting constantly. We we didn't even really have a shootout. You know, a couple of people shot at each other and it wasn't much to say about that. The most thrilling shootout part was the end. When the two women are having their showdown. You get a good shot right on Joan Crawford and it's like if the movie had actually end with ended with her dead and possibly uh, Emma, I think that's the character, right? Uh, Emma also getting somehow shot dead. That would be some sort of weird but satisfying sacrifice ending. Also, unfortunately, killing off the two women characters in a movie is not that strange. So it's almost like yeah. they would have been like, well, we can't leave these women alive. <laughs> yeah. But that didn't happen. Just Joel's uh, imagination. Well, uh, uh, this is based off a book. That Joan Crawford optioned herself, and she, and like she's read the book and was like, "Well, if we're gonna make a movie, I'll be a star." And she basically made like make this character I want to play the main character of the movie. So the book, I think, is more focused on the giant guitar character more so than the Vienna character. Hmm. I wonder how interesting the book is then, because he's kind of there, just so that. Joan Crawford can play off of him, and she she does that with relish. Yeah. So, uh, okay, uh, Heather, what what works for you in this? Since is it this is your first time seeing it? Uh, yeah, well, uh, first of all, I love uh, all the mentions of the colors because that was something I really enjoyed about this film too. Is that there's a lot of like especially um kind of speaking to jessica's point in the interior scenes you have lots of like blues like sort of almost at times like bordering on cobalt blues and then you have like these rust kind of orange browns and there's just like these little pops of color which um which was so nice and i don't at least for me i don't typically associate with a lot of american westerns of this of this time period like when i think of really visually striking westerns um i tend to almost think more of the ones that would be be made in europe like with a lot of the spaghetti westerns and all that uh now that uh i love the characters of vienna and emma um and just two like total alpha females just very strong women getting to see a film with just such two strong women and such two strong actresses. Mercedes McCambridge is like a shark in this. <laughs> like she, this just look of pure hatred in her eyes, in her way to hyper-focus with it, uh, her ability to hyper-focus with it is just something that is just to me, it's like, I, I, like I caught it get away when I, you know, for forever now when I think of this movie, I mean, Joan Crawford is great, obviously such a strong, uh, such a strong actress. Um, and that was fun. Um, uh, you know, the, the character actors are great. Uh, though I kind of wish 
Yeah, it's one of those things from Tor because part of me, and I think I think Spencer, you had mentioned this earlier, mm-hmm. where I wish there some of these actors, you know, and their characters were given a little more, just even just a little more meat to kind of flesh them out. Um, but then again, it's like also, you know, how long does this film need to be? You know, I mean, realistically, you know, I sometimes you know it's like the the plot that you want is going to be like a four hour movie and that's not <laughs> that's not the most uh economically viable uh especially for hollywood at that at this point at this juncture um but um but yeah i mean all those uh you know and just the fact that also it has like um i mean it kind of wimps out a little bit but you also have to keep in mind it's 1954 so but the fact that vienna i mean it's never like ex- explicitly said except maybe when emma's like calling her a tramp but emma's just being but you could also just be like well she's just being hateful um but you know you basically get the impression vienna was a sex worker and basically used that to save money and to, to basically not you know kind of have this freedom you know to, to find this land you know to take her claim on this land take you know use some business savvy to build her her saloon near what's going to be a railroad and you know so you have this smart intelligent woman who's just like yeah yeah you know i used to work at a saloon now i own a saloon and i i thought that was great i, I mean for again for 54 that feels kind of progressive um you know of course there's the you inevitably get the part where she's crying and you we're supposed to be like, oh, she's ashamed of what she did. And I'm like, well, it's 54. What can you? I'd, I'd rather her be like, that's right. I fucking did that. I'm <laughs> no, sorry. I don't know. Can we cuss? Of course. Oh, okay. Okay. Um, oh, potty mouth drain over here. But, um, <laughs> but, uh, uh Heather, but, we talked about, um, Salon Kitty before. Oh, God. That's right. I know. I know. I just, I'm, <laughs> my default mode is always like, oh, sh- oh crap yeah but um but yeah so no i really you know i love that i love seeing these and seeing these two you know these two kind of just titans and mercedes mccambridge i mean most people probably know her for being like the voice of pazuzu and the exorcist but um was she she the mom no no axe moorhead was the mom in citizen kane what uh, she was in the orson wells crew right yeah yeah in fact i think it's funny because she has a 2018 credit on IMDb because of the other side of wind finally coming out because she was uh, in some of that older footage. But uh, but yeah, I mean, long, amazing career. It's a lot of radio plays on top of that. Um, fascinating, kind of tragic figure uh, in real life, but such a great character actress. And she's really just getting to just zone in with that intensity. It's um, that look. There's few actors can really get that look of pure just like like a like a predator almost just like hatred it's like i think of like i mentioned just bill earlier but like that scene in the godfather mm. where he pulls off the hit on um oh god i'm trying to remember that name. the character it's the one played by alex rocco and spinel looks like a shark there tony musante in the incident shark yeah um Mercedes McCambridge and Johnny Guitar. Shark. It's so. It's kind of scary, but so riveting. Oh, yeah. She should have been Michael Myers. She was terrifying. Like, she was genuinely terrifying with how intense she was at times. 
Oh, totally. And it's especially because, the you know, it's like, oh, she's jealous. But it's way more than that. Because, like, once basically she realizes she has her opportunity to get to get to go after Vienna, the dancing kid is is like off of her mind at that point. Yeah. yeah, even though he's still alive and she still thinks he was the one that murdered her brother, even though it's clear that he didn't. She, no, no, she, her focus is 100% on Vienna. Yeah. And, so, uh, which which uh, is fascinating. Yeah, off of that, I, need, I want everyone's opinion. Is is there a sexual, like, lesbian tension between Emma and Vienna? Or is that just, like, people overselling that aspect? Um, as a hetero, straight, cis male, I have to say, <laughs> I hope you realize that invalidates my opinion. Anyways, uh, I don't, I did not see that. I did not feel any sort of love between them at all. It's almost as if the moment Emma knew who she was, was the moment she started hating her, um, Joan Crawford's character that is like and then when it came to the dancing kid I don't know when that and see a lot a lot of this stuff could have been flushed out but I don't know when that relationship came along I don't know who who was originally courting who or anything like that but it just inflamed this fire even further for Emma mm -hmm. so you can see like yes I hate Johnny because he didn't choose me but I hate Emma more because I hated her first and she got chosen. So I, yeah, I did not feel any sort of sexual tension going on there or attracted, attractive things like that. All right. uh, Jessica, do you, uh, do you see it? You know, I don't think it's intentionally there. Um, however, I think when you're dealing with something with such high emotion, like, the movie, you know, we talked a few times about how it's kind of underwritten, and I'm not, and it is. Um, but for me, like, what what really makes the movie sing is like the the high emotions of every scene, uh, and the high emotions of being these characters. Honestly, I think when you have just that level of hatred and just hyper focus between Joan Crawford and Mercedes McCambridge's characters. It's hard not to read that in there just because of how high those emotions are, how they're reacting to each other, and how just, again, like I said, hyper-focused on each other they are. Again, I don't think it's intentional, but I can see why people read it there. All right. Um, Heller, do you uh, see that aspect? Um, if, I, if I had gone into this film completely like a newborn baby and had no knowledge of it... Um, I don't know if I would have thought about it on first viewing. Um, of course, I've read that aforementioned like chapter, so it was kind of in my mind a little bit. Uh, taking a few steps back, I'm kind of with you guys. I don't know, and like Jessica Kelly, we were saying, I don't know if I, if it's there. I don't even know if it's intentional. I mean, it's it's uh, it's kind of hard to say. I can kind of see where somebody would come with it if you're going from the perspective of you know, to hate something that much, sometimes that's rooted out of something you loved. And, you know, well, you know, the the sort of yin and yang of it, maybe. Uh, maybe there's a place, maybe Emma just realizes her attraction and cannot accept it. And just, you know, feels like if, if Emma's gone, that she doesn't have to face that. 
but it also, I think, could equally, if not even more so, be viewed of just like, you know, the just being a very anti-lynch mob mentality. Um, you know, and, and being, you know, just showing the ugliness of of small thinking of, of, you know, people being, you know, and, and boy, we're kind of not to get political, but I feel like mm-hmm. we're seeing a lot of that in our country right now. We're, uh, especially if you live in the South, like I do, uh, where people, sometimes the people that, that, you know, yell the most about, Oh, this and that's immoral are the ones that are really actually the most immoral of them all. Cause they're just, I mean, they have, it, they have so much hate. It hate just happened themselves. in Alabama where, uh, some, some person like the governor's uh, cabinet who was like gay people are an abomination blah blah what's that with child porn uh, so yeah and, know, that, and that's a, oh go ahead I'm sorry <laughs> I, I, it, it's always those people it's always like the the ones who are like found like Jerry Falwell whoever was found like he had a gay lover it's like oh the devil possessed me it wasn't it wasn't me it was Satan it's like oh, shut the fuck up yeah it's a <laughs> Yeah, exactly. Exactly. I mean, it's a tale. It's a tale as old as time. And um, and I think if, when it comes down to it, I, I think the film's really more from that point of view. But uh, but that's always kind of the, the fun thing about film discussion. It's like some people obviously do see a lesbian kind of subtext there. Um, and that's, you know, it's an interesting thing to talk about personally. Who knows? I think probably not. But um, but man, I mean, just any film that gives us these two these two ladies getting to shine and just completely just be like these two titans hell yeah yeah like going to the underwritten part i suspect since this was joan crawford's idea she optioned a book she was she uh, got she got funded she was going to be a star i'm sure it was they had i'm sure the book fleshes everything out more because it's, it's the book obviously but also joan crawford being like i'm the star I, I will win. I get the man. This is my movie. So I feel like it was, that might play into it, too. Oh. <laughs> Completely. <laughs> but, I mean, I will say, you know, I don't actually consider that it underwritten, that it's underwritten being a bad mm-hmm. thing. But, I mean, it's, it is clearly, you know, there are things that probably could have been fleshed out more. Um, but because of the, the fact that it's underwritten, like, the emotions, I think, become the focus of it, which is, I think, and that's, I, I think I tend to pay attention less to story and more to the emotions of a film, and um, this film, the the way that these characters just, I mean, it's, it's a melodrama, the way everything is just so heightened that I can, I can forgive, you know, maybe like, oh, I don't really understand the relationship between Johnny and, and Joan Crawford's character to the degree maybe I'd like to, but I'm getting the shorthand from, from the way these characters interact and, and, and all that. I don't think it's a bad thing necessarily, because I like that this amounts to a melodrama more so than like a John Wayne Western it feels like compared to the other westerns of the of Hollywood westerns of the time it just feels kind of strange when you compare it to like you know what John Ford was doing because John Ford I don't think was that interested in like high emotion per se he's more interested in just you know uh like just getting it done getting the shots he wanted and I don't uh, you know what I mean 
No, yeah. and as a contrast, Nicholas Ray, I would say his films are, you know, yeah, um, In a Lonely Place is all about high emotions. Uh, I don't know if you've seen this great uh, uh, Humphrey Bogart movie that, that he directed, uh, Film Noir. Because um, I don't know how many Westerns rated. This may be the only one, or maybe there's one or two others. Um, but yeah, he's not you know he's not your typical Western director. He's not he's not a Howard Hawks. He's not a uh, he's not a John uh, a John Ford or a Anthony Mann. Yeah, like this feels more. Uh, I just lost the pop there, but like it. I remember it feels like we're like I think of Howard Hawks westerns. And I think like more masculine focus, more like you know Rio Bravo, where it's like. This is about men doing men shit. In Rio Bravo rules, politically, I think I disagree with it. Uh, but, like, the movie is awesome, but, like, it's very hyper-masculine, almost to a point that it's, like, like kind of hilarious how hyper-masculine it is in some ways. But, uh, like, this is, like, you know, the opposite. It's more emotional. It's more feminine. There's, like, the, the men are there, but ultimately they don't really matter. Yeah. I think that's true. I mean, the men are like the so almost the sort. No, that's not true. Emma's the source of the trouble, and I was going to say, <laughs> wasn't thinking straight on that one. I I like your term, uh, movies about men doing men stuff, because I, I want to know. I want to st stretch that definition of whatever men stuff is, because it, nowadays that's a funny thing to say. But yeah, um, I mean, like it's like. Uh, like, the, like nope. the generic definition of masculinity. Oh, yeah, I know what you mean. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Do you guys think that um, with that kind of feeling cause of it, of at times where it feels underwritten, the one thing that stood out to me, um, and I almost kind of feel like maybe if this film has a, a big weakness, which I don't, obviously, I wouldn't, I don't think it does. It's a great movie, uh, is the fact I really didn't feel like john crawford had any chemistry with sterling hayden oh i, or, I felt that and but i don't think she had any chemistry with scott brady either that's the and those are sort of the two like male figures that you know we find out johnny's her her kind of her long lost love her great love and in the, the interim dancing kids been kind of her interim love i guess but um but i didn't really feel like, feel like and i mean it's both brady and hayden i mean are you know, great actors, um, very, I mean, good looking guys, <laughs> but, uh, but I just feel like neither one of them really had any chemistry. I, and I don't know if part of that's just because Joan Crawford is Joan Crawford and she has such strong energy and such unique energy that you kind of, it takes, you know, a certain type of actor for her to have that. And there certainly were actors she had great chemistry with. Like if uh, I know, um, of course this is going more towards the thirties, but you know, like if she was with somebody like Clark Gable, like there was a good chemistry there. Um, but I kind of felt like that hurt, especially cause you know, all these guys are like, Oh, we love Vienna, but it's like, do you, you know, like you just don't feel, you know, you don't really, at least for me, I didn't really feel any, believability with that as far as having chemistry or electricity i mean I, again and that's the thing she has more more chemistry with uh, and maybe that's what makes kind of people also lend to the lesbian thing she has more chemistry with mercedes mccambridge and i don't and i wouldn't even say it's sexual chemistry but there's something there 
there is like an energy between those two women that she doesn't have with any of the men in the film. Yeah, I was actually just about to say that before you before uh, you finished up with it because that is, I mean, that is, I think, why why there is that subtext there because there's just such a strong connection between those two characters that it overwhelms all the other connections in the movie, which I, I don't mind because that is that's I think the most interesting part of the film is is Mercedes you know, McCambridge and, and Joan Crawford and, and and the way they interact with each other. Mm-hmm. Um, what was I going to say? I was going to say something about Evil Joan Crawford's star power. Like this was her project. This was her, you know, to making sure that she was the focal point of this movie that may have been supposed to be about the Johnny Guitar character and. Standing up against Sterling Hayden, I don't know how popular he was, but I do know that Joan uh, allegedly had an ego. <laughs> I did not know her personally. And, you know, having to deal with those two actors, whether or not it worked, you know, she, she would put in her whole thing and it's basically it happens or it doesn't with the chemistry part. Uh, you mentioned her and Clark Gable, like Clark Gable, once again just this huge powerhouse of an actor at the time he was famous and i could feel like at least that energy between the two of them was probably enough to feel like there's heat in the room mm-hmm. oh no that's such a great point no you just phrased i love that you phrased what i was thinking because i was trying to be like well why because i love sterling hayden but hayden's energy as an actor especially in his strongest roles is he is earthy He's very much like got this sort of almost like weariness about him when he's used like to his best ability. And Clark Gable, I mean, yeah, that's that whole era of stars. You know, Clark Gable was a star. Like, um, and I love Clark Gable. Yeah, every actor has like different strengths and, you know, powers that you can use them for. And yeah, I mean, Joan Crawford, star. Like, it, it's a totally in that Hollywood classic, classic mold where Hayden, even though he, you know, got into acting during that era i feel like was always kind of a little bit of an outlier until he was used to to his actual ability mm-hmm. yeah because I, I i remember hearing somewhere maybe on uh that paul Shear movie podcast not the the one with the film critic person unspooled that was called yeah unspooled mm-hmm. yeah with Amy nicholson there we go that's what i'm trying to think of because I mean, Nicholson mentioned um, like J- Sterling Hayden, like apparently got into acting so he could buy a boat and sail. So his whole goal with with Hollywood was, I want enough money so I can just take sailing vacations when I feel like it. Yeah, and, no, that's I've read that too. <laughs> and he and he and he and he's a man that lived it. I mean, he literally at one point was raising his kids on a boat and had a schooner even his later years that he would you know sometimes dock and you know dock in france or dock elsewhere and just you know he truly was a man of of the sea yeah uh uh is that is that why he looks like a boat captain in uh the long goodbye (laughs) 
Oh God, he's totally <laughs> that. That is him at his most boat captainy, uh, especially when he's yelling "balls, baby balls." That's my favorite. <laughs> I rewind. I always have to rewind that scene when I watch that movie. I I live for it. <laughs> it's very good. It's so yeah. good. <laughs> and uh, I I forgot to mention Sterling Hayden is in a movie we almost did last season, but it's five hours long. Or four hours long, and I didn't have the time to watch it last season. Nineteen hundred, the one I keep mentioning, where Jabard Jepper, Gerard Jepardu, and uh, uh, De Niro get in a, a naked wrestling match in bed, and there you see it like the dick flapping around. Yeah. <laughs> oh, no, they're so. fully nude in it. I'll, I'll <laughs> put no. that on the list with a, a room with a view for times I want to see people's ball sacks and such. Okay, but this, yeah, and um, anyway, yeah, it's a Berlucci movie. That's why I considered it for last season, but kind of chose against it because didn't have the time for it. Anyway, yeah. Uh, let's see. Okay, so I was reading uh, an essay on Little White Lies about this, about Johnny Guitar, and it mentioned it's similar to the play. Do you say Media Medea? Uh, I don't know that classic like literature stuff. Is it Medea, the Greek play? I think it is Medea. Yeah. Uh, has anyone read that? I have not. I, I, I'm vaguely familiar with it, but I don't think I've ever actually. In fact, I know I haven't ever actually sat down and read it. No. No. Uh, okay. I just know Pasolini made a version of it, and. It might still be on YouTube, but I believe there are no subtitles on it. But uh, ooh, yeah, is that the one he made with um, Maria Callas? It's the one I know it because there's a a uh, uh, what do you call it? a a, a, a candid shot on the set where Pasolini's like in like a uh, in like a European like a small cut swimsuit and sandals directing. <laughs> Uh, that's really the that. only thing I really know about it. Uh, well, I, I I need to. I think if if my memory's right, I need to. And that's one I always I need to see more Pasolini because I haven't seen a ton, admittedly. But um, I think that's the one he made with Maria Callas, which automatically makes it like a must see. I believe it's a, it's going to be on that Criterion Pasolini box set that's going to be oh. coming out. That's, oh yes, it is, and uh, I can't justify spending two hundred dollars on the box set. <laughs> Same, same. I know that's um, I, I I want it badly, but yeah, that'll definitely be, you know, like when when a when Barnes and Noble has their fifty percent off sale, and I have a really good paycheck. Those two <laughs> stars are gonna have to align <laughs> for that, but but yeah. it looks it looks amazing. <laughs> yeah, that that will be my big uh, uh stupid purchase I make when it comes out for for the, like the for that half of the year because I can't. <laughs> That's just too much money for for me right now. No, I think it's too much for most of us. Yeah. All right. Um, all right. So I I have not seen any other Nicholas Ray movies, but the Little White Lies essay, men, I think it was that essay mentioned that a common theme in his movies is outsiders, and outsiders dealing with society. Uh. But uh, yeah. So it. Uh, yeah, I see that's accurate. Oh. Oh. Okay. 
I, don't I mean, the only to... other one I've seen is Rebel Without a Cause, and yeah, that pretty much sums it up. Okay. Is there more on than that? Because I really just know Nicholas Ray from as like he had an eye patch and he was at the HUAC hearings and he made a couple movies and that's kind of the extent that I know about him. Yeah, his movies are often about Yeah, I I I'd say Outcast is pretty good. Um there's I mentioned in a lonely place before and while I don't know if that character is an outcast and Humphrey Bogart plays a screenwriter a, 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 a screenwriter um while I don't you know I don't think he's specifically an outcast in that sense he kind of separates himself from society and as the film goes on he alienates himself you know further and further from the people in his life um so yeah I would say that is a pretty strong strong theme of of of, of, of Ray's work Hey, okay. I'm looking at his movies. He also made a, you know, a movie, King of Kings, about Jesus. Once again, outsider. So, yeah. Although we all know who made the best Jesus movie. Yeah, Pasolini. Yeah, it's the best one. Just no, no one did it better. I mean, unless I find out that like Roger Corman made one, that might be better. <laughs> <laughs> and I haven't seen Mar- Marty Scorsese's, so. I haven't seen Pasolini's, but Scorsese's Last Temptation, I think, is probably one of the greatest films about like fate that I've ever seen. Oh, yeah. Oh, it's amazing. Yeah, that's been on my list for a while, but the Pasolini one is more about uh, Jesus being a radical leftist, which he was. Just read the Gospels, and you'll be like, how did uh, Americans get this so wrong? Yeah, that's that's a question I ask daily. <laughs> when it comes to faith, I agreed. Yeah, mm-hmm. no, the past leading one I need to see. I do love Last Temptation of Christ. I also think it has one of the best film soundtracks. That oh, when that soundtrack, uh, when the song mm-hmm. comes. I'm oh, sorry. Oh, no, I was going to say when the song no, no, comes, please. When the song comes in at the end of Last Temptation, like right after. You know, I think he, Jesus says, you know, it, it's finished or it is finished or whatever. And then that just, uh, that Peter Gabriel, like the drums come in. It's so good. <laughs> mm-hmm. All right. um, we kind of touched on it a little bit, maybe Jessica, you brought it up, but uh, uh, there's kind of hints of like uh, McCarthyism and like the, you know, the mob mentality thing and like, uh, coming up and like if here it's definitely I'm sure it was intentional but it definitely is subtly played because that's I feel like you probably couldn't be too loud about that because it's 54 I think they're still happening at this point Just having full silence. I'm sorry, I was not paying attention. I was too busy looking at the work oh. of the person who played Jesus. What did you say? <laughs> I'm sorry. Uh, McCarthyism is kind of a like a subtle theme in trying guitar, and um, uh, uh, and I'm not sure if the Hewak hearings were still going on or not. But like, it definitely is hinted at here, and I'm I wonder like if maybe you couldn't be too loud about that about criticizing that at the time. 
I would be surprised. I mean, people were like losing their livelihood because all of a sudden they were marked red. Um, but to try to read that into this movie, I don't know. It's kind of subtly there, but it's not. You know. I mean, if if we think the posse is McCarthy or McCarthy is Emma, I guess in that case, and the posse is the people that believe he's doing something good. Uh, the inevitable conclusion at the end when the actual posse is like, uh, this is stupid, let's go home. No, that's not what they said, but... <laughs> basically, but kind of, yeah. <laughs> yeah, uh, this isn't even about us anymore. Let's... The, I mean, they're right. The casino's burnt down. Like, the whole thing is kind of moot at that point. Um, is that what they were waiting for? Yeah. Yeah, I didn't yeah. really get a McCarthy... Um, an anti-McCarthyism message from this, but I, but I think that's an interesting take, though. Actually, I mean, it's I definitely think it could be possible, especially, you know, in the hands of Nicholas Ray, who, and yeah, God, I'm so glad you mentioned the eye patch. I I used to have on my computer somewhere mm-hmm. a picture of him from the, gosh, I think mid seventies of him with Rip Torn. Who's one of my favorite actors? I love Rip Torn and Marilyn Chambers. Oh, and what? yes, huh. and I oh, if only I don't know what would have come out of that collaboration, but I just know this: I would be down. Um, <laughs> but uh, but yeah, I mean Nicholas Ray was you know had this great kind of to me like this sort of you know anti almost like anti authoritarian energy. Yeah, I mean, and Jessica, you have definitely seen, I think you've seen way more Ray stuff than I have, because admittedly, the two films I've seen of his off the top of my head is this and Rebel Without a Cause. But, um, but I mean, you know, what do you, did you, did you, you know, did you kind of get an anti, like, McCarthyism vibe from this film? You know, I, when, when, when it's brought up, I can kind of, I can kind of see it. To me, the movies, I mean, it's about, you know mob violence and and just the way these things and the way like one person's grudges can kind of uh bring everyone in who really are not involved in this in this dispute um so like, i can see the reading i honestly i i you know I, I know a fair bit about or a little bit about the uh house on american uh the huac uh hearings but um you know not enough right i feel comfortable saying it definitely is um but I mean, even if it's just about you know mobs rising up to uh, uh, you know to go after people they find undesirable for whatever reasons, you know, which is kind of similar to what happened there. I I think uh, I think the film definitely has that. Yeah, same, same. That was definitely my take. Uh, and I mean, kind of the sad state of humanity <laughs> then and then and now is you know, having an anti-lynch mob message can apply to so many uh, things, which is really depressing when I say, you know, when you think about it, but um, mm-hmm. but I think it's an, but I, I think the whole anti and especially because like with, with having Sterling in this film because um, to my knowledge like he got called to testify and, and Nicholas Ray did too yeah, and I can't remember what Ray's story is with this, but I know because me being the Hayden fan girl, like he basically was taken aside, and he was going through a divorce at the time that was pretty messy, and he, and there was basically being he was all but told if you don't name names, you know, 
things were going to get even messier and, and yeah basically like they were going to mess with his custody of his two kids mm-hmm. and that's and that's awful. a that's awful it's evil mm-hmm. it's evil to do that and so he named names because he you know and i try to excuse it and the thing one of the things that actually has made me love him is he to my knowledge is if one of if not maybe the only person that did name names that publicly regretted it and condemned it and condemned reagan reagan was one of the guys that took him aside and said i'm so proud of you after he named names so um so anybody thinks that reagan was just oh you know he he you know maybe he wasn't a good president but he was a nice man with good intentions bullshit uh if it smells like a fascist and talks like a fascist it's a fascist but uh but that aside uh and, and there's an interview, maybe still on YouTube, um, that I want to see if it was done for French TV in the eight, like early 80s, where they Hayden talks about this. And the regret, like, you can tell, like, him having to do that haunted him till he died. Like, and he really, and, and even though, like, I mean, I can't imagine judging somebody put in such a horrible position. Because, like, when people mess with your kids, like, what do you do? You know, I don't yeah. think anybody can really say what they would really accurately do unless they were put in, in that position. And that's a position you, ne- you pray you never are in uh, for any reason. But um, so with him being involved in this, though, um, and being because, God, I mean, that's what an awful, awful thing. And uh, what an yeah. evil thing to be to, to, to have done to so many people. Yeah, yeah I believe uh, Jackie Robinson regretted his uh him speaking out because he um so he was specifically asked about uh paul robeson who was uh, a very out uh leftist and that was kind of the evidence of like for the uh u.s government to be like okay uh, your career is dead now mm. and uh jack robinson did later apologize towards the end of his life for what he did because he didn't realize uh like how bad it was going to be yeah and i believe lena horn also spoke out against paul robeson and she also later apologized because she i don't know if she was fully aware or not but like like that like those two testimonies kind of killed robeson's career in america oh god that's god i mean that's that's awful i mean at least hindsight's twenty twenty, you know and there's no telling there's no telling like what was being whispered in in her or you know jackie's ears too you know as far as intimidation but god poor paul robeson but also knowing that he was like such an out leftist just makes me love and appreciate him (laughs) in america uh, he like he's not celebrated still well he kind of is now a little bit but in the uk he's like a a working class hero oh oh that's beautiful i didn't know that but i love i love hearing that yeah uh third episode i brought paul robeson this season so far um he, and like after like his career was ruined in america he wrote like a leftist like socialist manifesto and had published so like he didn't give up or change at all after his career was his career was destroyed he just kept going true believer oh. man yeah okay so, uh okay i want uh the costuming in this movie in Giant Guitar is uh, to me really stuck out and I remember hearing on uh, I think Pure Cinema Elric uh, was uh, talking about like you can 
he like he found an essay or something about just how the costuming tells you everything in this movie and just uh and specifically like the the big thing it was like her changing to jeans towards the end was like the big uh thing that the essay was about but um just like things like actually like joan is first introduced standing above everyone yep. like wearing pants and it's like and she's like not talking that much but everyone is like showing respect and they're like we can't fuck with her and like you you feel just how powerful she is just like wearing like you know wearing pants standing like standing above looking down at everyone but i love one thing i love is I that i'm think... oh, sorry While no you're looks, fine go ahead so um yeah you know they, they kind of have her in this year powerful kind of masculine they're not afraid to have her be feminine either and there's that scene where again the one with her in the dress against the the rock face uh wall um you know i I like that they're still able to kind of bring in that femininity into it as well you know i was saying uh before that like joan crawford's not short that's incredibly like just a conception I had of her based on her performances, the way she's always mm-hmm. shot, like like standing on stairwells or just towering over everyone just because of her presence. And yeah, I was, I was like, oh, he's six foot five, so she must be like my height or even mm-hmm. a little no, bit was, higher. No, she she's five foot three. three. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so she was substantially shorter than Sterling Hating. Hayden, Hayden, he be Hayden. No, Hayden. Um, yeah, she's got that presence. Yeah, she mm. wasn't. Uh, Veronica Lake was like four ten. That's what I'm thinking of. Oh god, yeah. that would surprise me. People were like, I think a general just other than Sterling Hayden, <laughs> actors were so small. They were, yeah, way smaller than than we. I think even now, like you need somebody go to like a museum or something, and there's like you know memorabilia it's like oh my god madonna's like a fairy she's like yeah. a little tiny magical creature or something but yeah, no uh, a few years ago i went on a group trip to minneapolis and i didn't buy my ticket for the prince um studio tour in time but the people did go uh the, i'm not gonna get into the weird details of that place there's it's weird it's prince uh, and of course it's weird but um <laughs> Uh, you see Prince's like old costumes and guitars, and they are child sized. He was like four ten. Yeah, Man. that's pretty cute. <laughs> I don't. Know, I'm sorry. I want to make me laugh. I mean, I love Prince too, but yeah, no, he. Um, yeah, he he was the wee, but that's the thing. Like a lot of a lot of musicians and actors. Um, like, I, like, I've ever seen, like, like some, uh, like, an outfit that Alice Cooper wore. Huge Alice Cooper fan. Uh, in, like, a Hard Rock casino or something on a family trip. And it was tiny. <laughs> yeah, it's like, oh, my God. Or, or, it's like everybody that wasn't, like, Peter Steele and Typo Negative or Sterling Hayden. <laughs> Just, like, tiny, tiny, tiny. But, um... But yeah, but I mean, but going back to what you were saying, Joel, like Joan Crawford, her presence is certainly not small. And she does, that's the thing. You believe that these guys 
you know, especially, I mean, it's not like women were well regarded in 54, 1954 either. And there's still a lot of issues now, but, um, but especially going back to the old West and, but you completely buy that these guys would listen to her and respect her. And even like with the character of Tom, like John Carradine's character, loyal, like he's intensely loyal to her. Um, and I loved seeing John Carradine in this, and it's a little role that he is so like, just so fluid in it and so stand out and just you kind of almost I, I was like i want to see more of tom i like this guy and it was um and it was honestly it's nice to see him in a in a younger role um that wasn't like horror adjacent of course i know he's in the grapes of wrath um which i think is 39 but uh but it's been forever since i've seen that one and so when i think of like younger john karen i tend to think of him as dracula um but uh, he he's so great here. I mean, he's always great. It's John Carradine. Yeah, I, I, <laughs> I love seeing Ernest Borgnine because, like, mm-hmm. the moment you see him, you're like, oh, he's gonna betray them because look at him. He looks <laughs> he looks evil. He's Ernest Borgnine, yeah, yeah. Um, ex- excuse my ignorance. Which mm-hmm. character was John Carradine? He's Tom. Like he was the the cook, like kind of the handyman was, guy. Okay, the guy who's like hanging out the window and gets shot at the end, yes. right? Yes. Yeah, he was awesome. I really liked just like his presence is is super felt. Just being there, leaning, being like, yeah, I'm watching everybody. I'm watching everything. As long uh, as my boss tells me what to do, I'm gonna follow, unless her safety is in question. In which case, I'm gonna do my job. Oh, absolutely. Also, like, Rayle Dano, who plays yes. Corey, like, that face, I kept being like, oh my god, who is that? And I was like, oh, shit, it's Rayle Dano, who, yes. um, for any horror, horror people listening, he is the amazing, like, undead Old West guy in House 2. Oh, crazy. <laughs> oh, and he's so, I love Royal Dano. Royal Dano never gets enough love, and so seeing him, seeing young Royal Dano, uh, was so cool, and he looks like a pretty lanky guy here. So. When I saw, when I saw. Him, I first thought, is that Harry Dean Stanton? Like, no, it can't be <laughs> Harry Dean. <laughs> I think his it's limbs too early too for long. Harry Dean. His what? His limbs are too long. <laughs> oh yeah. Uh, but can you imagine a film with both of those guys? Now I wish we would have had a buddy western with Harry Dean Stanton and Royal Dano. That would have mm-hmm. been so good. Yeah. <laughs> I didn't recognize him, but I know him from the movie Killer Clowns from Outer Space. It's oh, Tom, Farmer Jean my... Green. Yes. Oh. The, the circus oh. is in town. <laughs> <laughs> oh God, I love that movie. <laughs> oh, um, uh, uh, Jessica, who, besides um, uh, Marseille Cambridge and Joan Crawford, uh, uh, is there any other like uh, smaller parts that really stick out to you? Oh, you know, I don't know because when I when I watch that movie, it's really it's about the two of them, um, and I kind of I feel like I kind of forget about everyone else because I'm just so focused in on that. Um, you know, I I thought I kind of liked the um, the the guy who plays uh, Mercedes uh, Cambridge's brother in it because it's not a very flashy role. He just kind of has to. He's just this kind of put upon guy who is like technically in charge, but not really. And I kind of like watching um, 
him, and I can't think of the actor's name, but him and uh, Mercedes McCambridge in their interactions together, and the way that um, you can just tell that she's always pulling the strings, and he is just kind of trapped within whatever her will is. Oh, yeah. Oh, she's so bossy. She's so... I just... I, I, the... Yeah, I mean, almost, like, that's the thing is, like, you see her, like, you, you know, boss him, right? You're bossing all the dudes. You know, and if, even when they're like, oh, you should stay, you should stay back, Emma. And she's, oh, she is not having it. She is so, like, just like this, like, like a little attack dog, almost. Like, it's, it's such a, like, uncare. I mean, especially for this, I, I've, well, I should say for this time, of course, there's always been great female villains, but, like, Mercedes just oh and I think actually when researching this read somewhere where she was complaining about because I guess she's in I haven't seen it but I think she's in National Velvet and I, I, she plays a character apparently who like shoots Liz Taylor's horse and <laughs> she was like <laughs> between that and Johnny Guitar she's like you know I have range people I don't I, can, I, I don't just have to play like evil <laughs> Like evil, evil villain it says, yeah. But I, um, I mainly but, know her from uh, uh what, who's a Spanish pervert guy who made a bunch of movies. I like his movies a lot. Just Franco. Uh, there we go. I love Just Franco. I would never go to the Spanish pervert, <laughs> <laughs> but I knew immediately. That's. Um, or they have to narrow it down. Yeah, I know. <laughs> I mean, uh, Almarvar is a bit of a pervert, too. Yeah, no, he's a lovable pervert. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah Franco also is with different... Jess. Yeah. <laughs> he's lovable. <laughs> yeah, yeah I, I like Jess Franco movies a lot. Well, until a point that I kind of don't like them anymore. Oh. Um, no, fair. I mean, he made like 300 movies, so there's going to be some that are not, you know, just mathematically <laughs> that yeah. are not going to be good. <laughs> uh, it's one of the Desaad movies has Mercedes Cambridge in a villainous role, and... Uh, it's the one. It's like two hours long. If it, it, for him, it's kind of I think too long of a movie. Uh, but it's it's still pretty good. But Mercedes McCambridge is in it as like uh, someone who I think uh, kind of appears nice at first, and you quickly realize oh she's she. It's um Justine. That was called. Oh, I need to see. That's been on my like my my list for years. I still need to see. It's a the sod one. I think it's one where uh uh. I can't think of names. Who is the the German guy who was terrible? And who was it? Oh boy, you're really gonna have to narrow I know. that. <laughs> Do you mean Kinski? Yes, there's one where Kinski is the sod. Oh, uh, is that? I think that is. Is that Justine? I think you're right. All that. The thing is, like, I know Franco also made Juliet. Uh, but that sounds like Justine. I believe. I could be wrong. Just to cover cover my paces here, but um, also, why weren't there more movies made with Kinski as Desaad? Got to talk about some inspired, yeah. <laughs> no more inspiration for the man. He had enough. <laughs> I mean, oh, you don't I... have to act if playing Desaad. Yeah, like Dracula or like Nosferatu. He didn't have to. Oh, but I love him as Nosferatu. <laughs> Ah. Right. Yeah. Oh yeah, that's what I'm saying. He's like, so, but he's a lot more sympathetic as Nosferatu, I think, than he than he probably <laughs> probably was no. as Desaad. Oh. I'm gonna guess you're correct, but I don't know for fact. 
<laughs> Wasn't Isabella Johnny in, in that? Yes, movie? yeah, that's a beautiful. Have you, have you, Joel? Have you seen the Herzog Nosferatu? Uh, no, I have not oh, watched it yet. Oh, it's it's gorgeous. Like the cinematography, you have the soundtrack by Paul Vu that is haunting. That Kate Bush would sample uh, mm. for her album Hounds of Love. Of course, Johnny, uh, Bruno Gans. Like it's a great. It's a really really just exquisite piece of cinema and and kinski really does bring i mean it's easy to focus on him and you know like his real life issues and that's putting it mildly but um kinski actually did have range as an actor and he really does play like this sort of haunted like melancholy you know if you think about that kind of vampire if that if that was a real creature like you're you're lonely it's a very lonely existence and it's he pulls it off really beautifully it's a it's it's an excellent film i do i can't recommend it enough yeah i'll second that great movie mm-hmm. that's the part i like the most i've seen like maybe four and uh the yeah that, that's when it really connected with me the other ones i saw well, it's all the the boat dragging a boat over the mountain and oh, the, the, mm-hmm. the the rest of that movie is kind of like uh, I don't know. I kind of got bored. <laughs> but oh wow! I, I don't I don't think Herzog is really for me. But, wow, um, that's that's fair. <laughs> I love Herzog, but yeah, he's a he is a strong brew. If he was a, a coffee or a tea, he'd be like, well, this is not, this cup is not for everybody. So that's yeah. fair. You can go. I was going to say, speaking of matter. Westerns and, and Kinski, have you all seen The Great Silence? Oh my gosh. Uh, not I'm, yet. No. My, uh, my, my beloved uh, Jean-Louis yes. Trintignant is in it. But, uh, oh, yeah, yeah, he's, he's in for a few dollars more. Mm-hmm. Oh, hundred percent. I'm so glad. Yeah, that's. In fact, I need to rewatch that because it's been a, it's been several years. But I think yeah, you just it's did a new Blu-ray of it like in the last few years. Oh my god! I need to get. There's too many new Blu-rays. Yeah, right. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, Corbucci is know, like one, probably my favorite director of westerns in general. Sergio Corbucci is amazing. You know, there are too many Blu-rays because we demanded it, and now we're like, oh god. I mean, we want them keep keep them coming, but no. <laughs> oh, I'm I'm fully part of the problem. I I'll own up to it, but um, I just I feel like it's like God. Am I gonna have to take a bank loan out for oh, yeah. all the new? It's like it's 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 a wonderful problem to have, obviously, but it's like, but yeah. Oh, I'm so glad you mentioned that, Jessica. Yes, uh, uh, yeah. the the great silence. I, my brain always thinks of it as El Grande Silencio because I remember. The first time I ever saw it mentioned, it was that title. Um, and so my brain is always stuck with that, probably because it's one of the very few Italian words my brain can remember that aren't food related. <laughs> <laughs> so, but yeah, that's an excellent, excellent Western. Yeah, the. Uh, yeah, yeah, Vanetta, uh, Vanetta McGee is in it, and she's in. Uh, what is that movie? She's in a movie that. Uh, it's not Blackula. It's uh, Tom C. and Bushrod, which is, I think, is a very solid movie, but uh, not really great. But it's it's a, definitely an underseen movie that should be that should be seen. I don't know if it's it's I don't know if it's still streaming or not. But it's one of the few Gordon Parks Jr. films because Gordon Park mm. Gordon Parks Jr. died far too soon. Uh, yeah. 
Alright, so, um, I'm just going back to Johnny Guitar, um, the whole, like, fallen woman trope thing gets inversed, and the whole, and, uh, Heather, you mentioned about, like, the implication of sex work, and then her getting successful off of it, and then building her life. It's kind of similar to the, um, Betty movie, Hyenas, which I think is still streaming, um, which is based off of a Swiss play, but it's about uh, uh, also about a like a fallen woman who has to do sex work, but then she gets uh, super rich off of it, and she goes back to her hometown in Senegal, and she uh, uh, has a town, and she she t uh, the town has a money problem. She tells the town, "Well, if you execute the guy who ruined my life, I will fund your town and fix all your problems." And so it's this, this moralistic like this moral dilemma of like do you execute someone over like just here like possible hearsay or do you like you know uh yeah it's a really really good movie oh yeah i need to see that yeah there's a blu-ray of it uh from kino that uh should still be available and yeah and uh also kind of remind me ram Remy me of the dressmaker, a recent western. It's Kate Winslet, I think, is the star, and like she makes dresses, and it's basically like a western. It's all western tropes, except like instead of like shooting people with guns, like she makes dresses, and it's like this really interesting inversion, and like re revamp of the western, uh, like western tropes. Man, I didn't even know that was <laughs> the first time hearing about this movie. I'm, I feel like I'm such a slacker, but that that sounds cool. I, I like, I like, you know, Kate Winslet's great, so I'll have to check that out. Yeah. All right. So, um, okay, we should wrap it up. Uh, so, Jessica, any final thoughts on uh, Giant Guitar? It's a great movie. I mean, that's that's about it. I think I've said a lot of what I, you know, I, one thing I do want to talk about because I mentioned the interiors earlier. Um, I guess the last thing I wanted to make sure I said was one thing I like about Nicholas Ray is like the sets of his movies are so good and the set that they use for the casino you know you mentioned her you know her standing up above the balcony but everything about that like I think that set is as important to the you know the first half and the tension of that movie as any of the characters or their actions it's just big enough that you can really get a kind of a sense of where everyone is but when there's a big crowd in there, you start to feel a little claustrophobic. I think it's a, a great, a great set, and uh, uh, honestly, a big part of probably what makes the movie so uh, so enjoyable is just the way that the characters really inhabit it. Um, I those set, I just just to agree with you. Like, I was thinking about how set builders now work their asses off but a lot of cgi is used to fill in spots and things like that and back then you didn't have that option so it's not that they worked harder it was like we had to make it look as good as possible with what we had and they man they blow it away in this movie yeah um okay um heather final thoughts um classic well, well, first did this live up to the hype? Oh yeah, yeah. 
Yeah, no, and I've really, I've enjoyed so much in getting to talk about it um, with you guys. And also just like all the great points, like the, yeah, Jessica, not to, not to be like, you know, yeah. Oh my God, me too. But no, me too. Like the interiors, <laughs> all the, all of the design elements. Also, even just like that opening, there's like early on in one of the opening shots, the way that the camera is kind of angles towards Vienna's exterior with that dust storm going on is so beautiful and just such a great little sweeping um shot and it's such a great this film's a great study i think in in cinema and even if like yeah even if if you're a filmmaker and obviously who's going to have the budget to make a the equivalent to this um but it just shows you you know even even if you have like five dollars think in terms of movement of, of touches of lighting and color and you can you can definitely use this film to kind of study like you know the language of, of filmmaking it's it's great if, if you love great also just great just sort of actors you know like Joan Crawford and you know even even though he's not used to specificity you know Sterling Hayden and you know god damn it Royal Dano come on <laughs> Borgnine, yeah, who is like I don't think I've seen him look so evil since the Devil's Reign, <laughs> but uh, so many, so many that we've talked about. Um, so yeah, no, I I can't think I think can't think uh, you enough for having me on here and get to talk about it. And Jessica and Joel, you guys are amazing. Kind of just broadened my view on this movie and also just make me realize I need to see more Nicholas Ray movies. So. <laughs> <laughs> No, I, I, I guess I have one. There's one unbelievable thing to me in this is that uh, uh, Sterling Hayden could beat up uh, Borgnine, which Borgnine fought in World War Two. I don't think Hayden fought in World War Two. I'm he not did sure. Fight. He, he did. did. He did. Yeah. Oh, never mind. <laughs> Sorry, <laughs> I'm a nerd. <laughs> I mean, I think that Sterling Hayden could probably pick up Ernest Borgnine and throw him somewhere, and not not. Not because he's stronger; it's it's a height thing, you know. Well, yeah, um, Borgnine looks tiny compared to him. But Borgnine would definitely chew on his hands before he got released or something. He, he's a he's a biter. You can tell by those teeth. Yeah, I mean, we're not going to bring up. I'm not going to say the quote because I said it in a previous episode already. But he, yeah, he lived yeah. a long time. Oh yeah, <laughs> yeah. That's that's going to be my euphemism. Oh, he lived a long time. <laughs> You got uh, Jessica and Peller. Do you know what we're, what we're talking about? After the episode. Okay. <laughs> he gave an interview later in life where uh, <laughs> it's hilarious. Oh, wait, is it the one where somebody was asking what is, because he lived to like, what, 97? Yeah. 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 And he so was like, what is your secret to being so young? And he whispered mm-hmm. masturbating. Is yes. it that one? <laughs> yep. That's the one. <laughs> I. I, I used to watch the soup all the time with Joel McHale and they would they would I feel like they would loop that at times like it's hilarious yeah now keep that in the episode everybody needs to know Ernest Borgnine's uh, Fountain of Youth uh, secret yeah. <laughs> uh, oh I, I wasn't he I, I'm thinking the youngest one here um, I'm 31 so I'm pretty sure I'm the youngest one here wasn't he um uh on SpongeBob. I think so. Yeah, he played uh, Merman or, or whatever Mermaid his name Man? is. <laughs> oh, Mermaid wow. Man. Yeah. <laughs> okay. So he has been a part of my, my life and I didn't even realize it. <laughs> mm-hmm. Okay, anyway, yeah, so, uh, yeah, this movie rules. It's, it's my favorite. You know, even though politically I disagree with Rio Bravo 
in every way, pretty much. I think I like that more. We're going to cover that one later. But uh, this is, like, almost at that level. But, like, this is, for me, like, I don't I don't rate movies anymore. But, like, this would be, like, a 4.5 out of 5. Like, it's just, uh, you know, it, it just totally works. It's like a proto-feminist feminist movie. I don't know if you... I guess it's considered a feminist movie. I don't really know. I'm not the authority on that. But, uh, yeah, it's definitely just... If you have not watched it, uh, I th I believe it does live up to the hype. Uh, J Dog, J Diesel. See, the only hype I really got was from you. In fact, I probably never even heard about this movie, but you mentioned it probably a long time ago. Mm -hmm. I, when did you see it? Did you say six years ago? I think uh, five years ago. You've been talking about it ever since. It's about yeah, it that's is. about when we started the podcast five or six years ago. So, uh, uh, yeah. No, I think it's I think it's a very good western, and I'm very picky about that kind of stuff because uh, the whole American bravado conquering, you know, the west western era, whatever lands and portrayal of Native Americans and and Mexicans such as myself. But you know what? It was a good movie. Mm, yeah. I mean, in fairness, Toshio Mifune played a Mexican once. Oh my god. So he... Okay, well, then that's a competition. Was it <laughs> Toshiro Mifune was the best Mexican, or was it... Uh, what's his name? Eli from? Wallach? Eli Wallach, yeah. <laughs> Wasn't he a Jewish New Yorker? Like I said, best Mexican. <laughs> yeah. Although, I have to bring it up. Anthony Quinn was Mexican, not, not Italian. Mm-hmm. Uh... Look up his real name. It's uh, uh, they definitely Americanized his name for Hollywood. Anyway, so uh, this is 1954. I will go last. So uh, Jessica, Heather, uh, you know, you guys can go first. You guys decide. I don't know. I reckon. Yeah. Uh, you want to go first, Heather? I I don't really care. <laughs> um, I I. I think I think you should go first because I'm I'm super intrigued uh, what you're going to recommend because you kind of told us before we recorded the format so I want you to go first if that's if that's cool yeah okay so um, my recommendation is uh, a book um, uh, so since this was uh, you know Nicholas Ray is a you know man doing a very a movie about two you know, women and focused on women or at least you know there's two main characters. I decided to go with a book which is um, The Blunderer by Patricia Highsmith, um, whereas you know it's a woman writing about about men, and um, the book is about a uh, guy who gets obsessed with this story he reads in the paper about a woman who was murdered, um, and they don't know who did the murder, but he figures out that it was on his own, just out of his own curiosity, figures out it was her husband who committed the murder, and he becomes obsessed with the murder and thinking about it a lot, and at the same time his relationship with his own wife is deteriorating, and uh, at one point he even considers killing her the way that he thinks this guy killed you know, his wife, but he doesn't. However, she's murdered or dies in a very similar way anyways, and his entire life falls apart as because of his obsession with the case and they can figure out his obsession with the case, basically everything starts closing in on him, who again did not commit the murder. It's this great like examination of kind of like 
the quiet desperation uh, that men can have sometimes. And it's a great book. Um, Patricia Highsmith, I mean, as a person, you know, she's whatever, but uh, as a writer, it's, it's, it's a fantastic book. I really recommend it. Yeah, to put it lightly, she was a complicated woman. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I, uh, okay. That, that's it. No movies for you. No, I had just. I mean, I could probably think of a movie, but uh, yeah, I had just thought about the book oh. uh, when I when I okay. came in. All right, then I guess uh, Heather, you're next. Oh, um, so. I did not realize until you you had mentioned me mentioned to me it's like oh make sure you have a recommendation. Um, there are so many great movies that came out in 1954, like and, mm-hmm. and a lot of which I need to see. <laughs> but um, and some of course I've seen. I mean, this is the year that gave us Seven Samurai, Godzilla. Uh, I have to mention Crime Wave because it has Starling like Sterling Hayden. Charles Bronson and my what? man Timothy Carey, yes, Crime Wave, oh. which I I do recommend. But my pick has got to be Kenneth Anger's uh, inauguration of the Pleasure Dome, um, which is such a. I mean, it's always like trying to describe Kenneth's work is always a fun, at times challenging. Especially um, inauguration of the Pleasure Dome is very. Uh, like a lot of his works, very occult, uh, occult heavy, but it's very, it's so visual. It's surrealist. It's dreamlike. Um, it's, you know, it, it, it'll give you, it gives you so much beauty that you had never realized you needed to see until you sit down and watch it. And, uh, and plus, you know, uh, speaking of writers, uh, you get to see Anais, Anais Nin. I hope I'm saying her name right. <laughs> but, um, and it's just such a visual feast. Um, I tend to be, I tend to kind of go back to more of his 60s and 70s work, but, uh, but Inauguration of the Pleasure Dome is so beautiful. And if you haven't seen Kenneth Anger, uh, you know any of his works? That's a that's a great place to start. Yeah, we have an episode on Kenneth Anger that we recorded with Patrick Ripple. Oh, and, uh, Patrick's great. Oh, yeah, he kind of gushed about Kenneth Anger for I feels like two hours. It was a long long episode. Oh he's, no, he's his favorite movie. Oh gosh, yeah. No, I mean, with, and with Kenneth too. There's so much like, especially when you're going over like you know, much of, you know, like so many of his films, there's so much going on, you know, you can just, yeah, just kind of almost get lost and all of the various threads. I almost feel like Pleasure Dome's one of the more sort of, um, no, there's nothing simple about it, but, um, it's definitely, I don't think it's as dark as, as his later films, which is probably why I don't revisit it as much, but I tend to go to the darker stuff, but uh, but it's so gorgeous, and, um, and I'll have to check out that episode. I don't know how I missed that, but I'll, I'll definitely be downloading that. A little hint is, if I post about a movie on Twitter, that means that we're going to record an episode on it. Which is why we're going to record an episode on... Wait, was the one you posted earlier? Uh, oh, the Prisoner movies? People no. heard the scorpion. Hold, hold on a second. <laughs> about? Oh, baffled. Going... Yes, baffled. We're going to do an episode on baffled. 
We should do an episode on Baffled on the other podcast. (laughs) Yeah, we should. That movie's awesome. It's a TV movie starring uh, Leonard Nimoy that was a secret pilot that failed and never became a TV show. Where he's a psychic who solves crimes. Oh my god. It's not great. It's kind of real goofy, but that's why I think it's great. (laughs) Yeah, he's not a pilot. He's like a race car driver, isn't he? Yes. Something like that. And, yeah. he, and he has psychic powers. Oh my yep. god, sold. <laughs> you have sold me already, I must see this. <laughs> he does the pinch, no he doesn't. I believe it's on Tubi currently, and it's also oh, yeah. been on YouTube for a very long time. It's forgotten. Oh uh, uh, yeah, because it kind of sucks, that's why. Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> and so, am I going now? Um, yeah, if you want to. Oh, if I want to, thank you. So I'm going to do something that I don't normally do, and I'm going to talk a little bit about music here, just just because I was curious what was coming out. And funny enough, uh, February 1st of 1954, Johnny Guitar Wilson records Space Guitar, pioneering reverb and feedback techniques on guitar. This is from Wikipedia, but I think it's just an in- interesting coincidence that somebody who whose nickname Johnny Guitar happened to also record songs uh that were revolutionary in their influence just reverb is such an important thing in music at least the music i love (laughs) um albums that came out mostly some stuff like frank sinatra stuff bing crosby had a, a couple rosemary clooney patty page the other song that i thought was interesting that came out was this was the year that the chords recorded recorded shaboom which is life could be a dream that song yeah yeah musically rolling around in that era now um the only movie i feel like talking about because i've seen such stuff and i've seen some tom and jerry stuff and looney Tunes stuff i could talk about oh you know what i am going to talk about this (laughs) okay so one movie I want to talk about Godzilla. I think I've already talked mm-hmm. about it before. We have an episode on it. It's got my father in it, Takashi Shimura. <laughs> yeah. And in that he's, you know, it's just one of those staple um, sort of roles that he seems that he kind of got stuck with where he was, he was, you know, always looked like he was the grown up when he was in the room. And in this case, he was a, the sci- one of the scientists, I think. Um, yeah. If not the scientist. I think he invents the oxygen destroyer. Ah, uh, yes. And Godzilla in this movie, I don't know. I, I feel like when people look back at this, they, they see like, oh, this is like King Kong and stuff like that. And not to bash on King Kong because the original King Kong is amazing. This Godzilla is terrifying. Like, just... Because we're not focusing just on the monster. And like in future movies, it came became way more about like the monster versus this amazing sci-fi military. In this, the people are devastated. And you see the way the people are reacting with the towns destroyed. And, and the inevitability of this monster just going rolling through where they live gives you a real sense of what it's supposed to represent, which is right the dropping of the bombs on Hiroshima and uh, 
What's the other place? Damn. Hiroshima? That's what I oh, said. Wait. Oh, Nagasaki. Nagasaki. Thank you. Yeah. So, if you haven't watched Godzilla for some reason, I suggest you watch this one. And not the one with uh, Raymond Burr, I believe. S. Steve Martin. Yeah. Not the Americanized version. Just just watch the Japanese version. You can handle some sub- subtitles, you know. It may be too woke for some people, but I assume they don't listen to this mm. podcast. <laughs> uh, okay, so, and since I've been doing cartoons recently, an amazing Looney Tunes cartoon came out this year. Bugs and Thugs, wherein we get the weird little uh, mafioso guy and his, his big dumb thug buddy. For some reason, Bugs Bunny's tied in, but, you know, get that famous shut up. Kind of stuff like that. Just, just classic. Really funny. Um, I think I'm gonna watch it right after this, so that tells you (laughs) exciting stuff. All right. Uh, I did actually think of a movie. Could I say one? Ooh, please. I'm sorry. I just, um, I don't know if any of you ever seen the film noir Drive a Crooked Road. Um, no. But I like to mention anytime I get a chance, and then I realized what we were talking, it came out in 1954. But it's this great film noir starring um, uh, Mickey Rooney, uh, of all people, uh, as this like kind of lonely mechanic guy who falls for uh, a mobster's girlfriend, and his life falls apart because of it. But um, honestly, the words film noir and Mickey Rooney should be enough to make anyone interested. So uh, I really recommend that. <laughs> All right, uh, put it on my watch list. Okay, for me, nineteen fifty-four. First, the book uh, "People of the City" by Cyprian Quincy. He was one of the leading uh, figures in the uh, like Nigerian literature movement of the nineteen fifties and sixties, and this is his big thing was writing about contemporary Nigeria and they weren't free from England yet and it's kind of talking about like life and, and, and people say it's about what it's like to live in Lagos at the time and trying to uh, it's a coming of age story and he's and the bad guy who's trying to be a, a jazz musician and a uh, what's other thing he's trying to do I forgot the other a journalist that's it and he's trying to survive in the city and it's just showing like this what modern light modern day life was like, and uh, it's it's a short read, it's really good, and uh, so, uh, Quincy gets a lot of shit now because he is bad writing women, and I see some people kind of disregard his work as a result, which I think is stupid because he's kind of one of the he was the second African writer to have his work published in English outside of Africa. So it's it, it's kind of a, a landmark novel in that way, and it's um, <clears throat> maybe third one. I can't remember. But anyway, but it's a, it's it's a foundational book. It's not just important; it's also a good quick read. All all his books are are short reads, and uh, it's it's available everywhere. And the I found a movie from '54. I forgot about. It's the one Billy Wilder movie I really like, uh, and it's uh, Sabrina. That's the movie that made me realize uh, 
Audrey Hepburn was a great, uh, like my favorite actress, one of my favorite actresses. And uh, I know it's very basic, but I, I love Sabrina a whole lot. And uh, I'm sure everyone here has seen Sabrina or, or knows everything about it. Yeah, it's got Greg Kinnear in it. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> <coughs> no, Sabrina's a great movie. Love it. Okay. Uh, yeah, that's really... I think Lestrada came out this year, but we have an episode on it. I'm very middly on Fleeny to begin yes. with, so... Uh, yeah. Well, you're, you're discouraging Anthony Quinn, or disparaging... No, no, not Anthony Quinn. Fellini. Fellini's like, he's like Godard. He's, it's vegetables. I, I want it. Oh, you're insane. But I understand. Okay. <laughs> okay. Yeah. So that's it. Um, uh, Jessica, do you have podcast appearances in the past or present? You like to, or books or whatever it is you do to promote. Oh gosh. Um. You know, I'm, I am a writer, but I am like the least prolific writer in the world. I did, I, I have a piece, I think, possibly coming out later this year. But um, last year, I wrote a really big uh, feature for Polygon on um, the trans writer um, uh, Rachel Pollock and her work on the uh, on the comic book Doom Patrol in the early '90s. Uh, I would recommend if you Google Polygon on Rachel Pollock Doom Patrol, it should be the first thing that comes up. Um, but yeah, I, I, I like to tell people to, to check that out just because I think she's a great writer and I'd like more people to be aware of her. And she's actually very sick right now. I'm not sure if she's, um, she might, I, I believe she's in hospice. So we're kind of, I, I think people are expecting you know, her to go. She, she's a, a fantastic writer. One of the few like trans, prominent trans fiction writers who had been around since late seventies, early eighties. And I, I, you were on the comic podcasts from what's called talking about Doom, Doom Patrol. Oh yeah, yeah. I was on um, oh, what was it called? Comics and Chronic, uh, which is a podcast where they just get really stoned and talk about comics. And yeah, I was on that one. Uh, I hotboxed in my car for it, and uh, <laughs> yeah, I talked about uh, talked about her and the work and and, and all that. Yeah. Okay. And I'll have links to that in the, in the show notes. Uh, Heather, you're super busy with uh, uh, Blu-rays and writing f- uh, for like various websites and being on podcasts and shit. So, what, what you got co- doing coming out? <laughs> I, I now want to start a podcast called Podcasts and Shit. That's a <laughs> but no. Um, actually, I just had a uh, an article uh, published on Aerofilms uh, blog because uh, today, and it's actually today, the day of us recording, March twenty sixth, is uh, filmmaker Tinto Brass's birthday. Uh, oh. Filmmaker that you and I got to talk about when we yep. uh, talked about Salon Kitty. Uh, but yeah, I am over on their site. I did an article about Tinto and an overview of his work and i'm really proud of it and if anybody's interested especially if if maybe you're somebody who kind of knows of tinto but don't really know his work or even if you love his work even if you hate it uh go over to arrow films website and check that out and of course you can always uh check out my website which is mondoheather.com all right weren't you on the the new texas chainsaw blu-ray that came out 
Uh, yes. Yeah, no, that uh, that Blu-ray ha- comes with an amazing looking uh, book where a number of writers got to contribute. And I was very fortunate to be one of them where I uh, get to kind of uh, look into uh, both sort of the pagan origins of the South, of the American South, because this is a region that is filled with a lot of, um, you know, Irish and UK immigrants. And so a lot of that is kind of permutated into Southern superstition. And so I look at that as well as sort of um, economic depression and working class um, Southern views, because, uh, of course, Toby Hooper is actually a, was from Texas and a Southern filmmaker. And just a lot of uh, just a lot of directors who aren't from this region tend to not really understand sort of the, the weirdness of it. And he did. And so I go into that. And also Second Sight's Martin box set um, that has been announced, uh, Romero's Martin. I have an essay in the accompanying book in that as well. Yeah, my favorite part, Martin, is when he says, damn, Gina. (laughs) 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 Oh, God. Yeah, I actually have a whole essay on Shanene, so I'm glad you, you mentioned <laughs> <Excellent>. that. <laughs> so subversive. Yeah. yeah, the subversiveness of Shanene. Um... <laughs> I'm sorry, Heather. <laughs> no, 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 that was hilarious. I, uh, I always thought Gina could do better. I was, I remember watching Martin be like, man, she could, she could do better than Martin, you know? But um, oh, yeah. it's like, but that's not like classic sitcom, isn't it? Just sitcoms in general are always like, you're like, these ladies can do better. (laughs) Yeah. Okay. Uh, Jade Dog, you got stuff? No. Okay. Just the usual. If you want to hear me, I suggest you continue listening to this podcast. And if you don't want to hear me, too bad. Okay. And uh, I was on Cult Movies podcast earlier. No, late, late last year. I think it came out earlier this year. I talked about the one black movie in all the cult movie books by that guy who wrote those books. I can't remember his name. Danny Perry? Uh, Yes. Um, The Harder They Come, the reggae movie. I picked it because it was the one black movie, and that's all I wanted to talk about. I didn't care about the other options. And uh, that movie is... It's definitely a very unique thing. It's... It's like a Robin Hood story, uh, like a, a a music story, and it's kind of like a Texas Chainsaw vibe of like it's kind of lightning in the bottle. It kind of could only have happened in that time in that way, and can't be repeated. I believe it's still on Tubi, and uh, it's I don't know how to really explain what a hard to come is outside of like you know quickly if you're into it or not. It's definitely one of those kind of movies. Mm-hmm. And uh soundtrack is awesome. And... Uh, I was about to say, I love that soundtrack. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And uh, what else? And, uh, I, I'll be on Movies from Hell later this year, I think, possibly. Or we will, Joel. I don't know if it's this year or whatever. But, uh, <laughs> don't worry. Yeah. And uh, I'm on, I'll probably be on the grind bin this year because I, I do like a grind bin episode per year. That's my contract with them. And uh, yeah, that, and I oh, I have two a, a movie blog thing that I don't update that you can find in the show notes. And that oh, Grumpire. I, ref, I write for Grumpire on occasion. 
and I have a couple things I'm working on. And one thing I, I pitched two year uh yeah, two years ago that I'm finally almost done with. That might that will finally get published soon. So. I've been waiting for two years for this. <laughs> yeah, it's for their punk column about movies that are secretly punk. And it's like Force uh, Gun. No, it's a movie that I researched. It, I was like, oh, other people have made this point too. I'm not, <laughs> I'm not the first person to do this. Like, I'm like the tenth person to do this. But still, it's a great movie that I talk about. And uh, that's it. So, um, Jessica, thank you for your time. Thank you so much for having me. This was really fun. Oh yeah, and you're welcome on any time. Just. I'll, I'll send you. I'm not sure if I sent you a list or not, but I can send you a list of stuff. Okay. Yeah. Please. And uh, yeah, uh, Heather. Uh, I think I mentioned we're gonna. I I want to do Lust in the Dust before, and I feel like you'd be perfect for that movie. Oh, so. I love Lust in the Dust. That would be so much fun. Yeah, that's in the vague future, and uh, probably the summer, realistically. Perfect. And, oh, it's a great summery movie. So that works out. Oh uh, yeah, Divine. When I think of Divine, I think of the summer. She uh, really, she is like the the bright, like sort of you know, get up some tiki torches. They're on like a garish floral gown with some sequins. Have a human barbecue. Throw on some, you know, throw on some Little Richard. I I, I live, I live for this. Yes. Yeah, bringing a stripper <laughs> to do a, a trick with his anus. I would, you know, I don't know the story real quick. I was disappointed when I first saw Pink Flamingos because I was under the impression his anus would literally sing Surfing Bird. <laughs> okay. And if that's if that's probably more of a psychological peek into me than anybody needed, so you're welcome. I don't know, but yeah, no, that sounds great. <laughs> yeah. If you know what we're talking about, listeners, Angel, uh, a man uh, uh, prolapses his anus in the movie several times and it's to to a, a a fun pop song and it's very strange you make it sound so dirty when you put it like that it's, it's a little bit dirty <laughs> it's it's very dirty <laughs> uh, looking forward to it absolutely no. it's pink oh pink flamingos is a i like it but i think i love it joe i don't think you'd you would like it that much so we're not we're going to talk about desperate living instead the funny oh. thing is that my therapist that I'm currently seeing, she would totally be into that movie because I've ta- I've mentioned a couple of things and then she goes, she goes advanced level weird stuff and I'm like, I you know what you've seen more than me, so I'll have to ask her about if Pink Flamingos is safe. She should know because she knows me, right? Um. Uh, <laughs> I, I would suspect you would not be into it. That's my gut feeling. That's why I don't want to talk that with you. Uh, I right. think it'll make you too upset. Uh, Slash, yeah, yeah. It, it, John, early John Waters is a very specific taste. Uh, that's, that's fair. That's. Yeah. <laughs> okay, yeah, so I, uh, the show's on Twitter at Sister Sewer Rat. I'm on Instagram under Veda Huff. Uh, I think it's underscore in between Veda and Huff. My 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 picture is uh, my dog Freya. You'll know it's me. It's just pictures of my dogs and cats, Aww. and that's it. Okay, yeah. Uh, uh, wait, Jessica, do you say your Twitter and all that stuff? Or do you? Yeah, I haven't said my Twitter, but uh, I can be found found at at Bad Posts LLC. 
Alright. And uh, Heather, you're, I think you're he Mondo Heather everywhere? Absolutely. Uh, J-Dog, you're JT, JTG. No. Wow. JTG is a wrestler. <laughs> JDT. Games. Yep. JDT games. I, I met J JTG in person. He's very tall and has huge muscles, and I've never felt more physically weak in my life. Oh, Next okay, so we're, we're the same person. Just kidding, I don't have any muscles, and I'm definitely not tall. He's like 6'2", and like, I was, it's just like, Jesus Christ, I'll never... Like, how do you get muscles like this? There's it's, no Sterling hating. Ugh. Yeah. Who is? <laughs> <laughs> okay, I'm gonna shut it down. Our theme music is by James Fell. Our logo is by Andrew Bargeron. You can find him as Jemetsko on Threadless, TeePublic, Redbubble, Shirt Woot Catalog, and T-Theory. That is spelled G-I-M-E-T-Z-C-O. You can find our show in previous seasons on Podbean, Spotify, Google Play, and other places where you can find podcasts.